Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. In my home for today's podcast is my friend Joseph Stiff. Welcome to the podcast, Joseph. Thank you, Richard. Will you spell your last name and say it for us so we yeah. get it right? It's Stith, S-T-I-T-H, just like Smith, but the M is a T. That is a very simple way to understand your name. Listeners, Joseph is somebody I I got to know virtually in about 2016, five years ago when I stepped in this space. And Joseph just sent me nice messages in my Facebook posts and was very encouraging to me. And this is the first time we have met. And I'm so honored to have Joseph on the podcast. Um, by way of background, Joseph is a gay Latter-day Saint, active in the church, a married father of two and four grandchildren. Joseph's been married 37 years. Joseph, if I may have mentioned, is a gay Latter-day Saint, is going to share his story. Um, he's a few, former U.S. Marine and a drill instructor. Thank you for your service to our country, Joseph. My honor. Joseph is a former bishop and has served in other callings. He's a return missionary from Houston, Texas. We have a soft spot in our home for Houston, Texas. I married a woman from Houston, Texas, and we love that part of the world. Joseph is former president of North Star in 2017-2018, has done wonderful work, and I'm deeply supportive of North Star. My impression of this podcast, and I think our joint prayer, is that Joseph is... Being in his mid-60s has the long view of this space. He's in this space, obviously, as a gay Latter-day Saint, but he's been working with parents, with local leaders. And so our hope is this is a complicated space, but I think Joseph's long view, his perspective, his deep grounding in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his understanding being a gay Latter-day Saint will be helpful for you. So especially if you're a local leader, a parent, or an LGBTQ person trying to figure out your future. Our prayers that this podcast and Joseph's, I just keep coming back to this long view. <laughs> I'm in my sixties also. So I sort of think like we, we sort of get this long view yeah. as we're in our sixties. Yeah. I'm sure my 90 year old listeners would say, you don't know anything yet. <laughs> but yeah. um, so it's that okay for a bio, Joseph. Oh, it's, thank you. I'm honored. I um. I, I, yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover when you're in your 60s and your perspective just continues to change, hopefully improve. And, I, and I'm very sensitive. I'm sensitive to the labels that, uh, that, that this community can naturally um, uh, impose. Um, so, so that you understand, I, I've struggled too between the, the, the whole... SSA, self-sex attraction label or the, or the gay label, but, but just so you're clear on where I am, um, I, 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 for, for most of my life, I wondered, I really wondered if, if I didn't have, um, something wrong with me because, because I just seemed far more attuned to my feminine side than, than most men that I ever knew uh, did. It, 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 I'm highly emotional. I can't even hardly bear my testimony without tears. Um, and that doesn't mean my testimony is any greater. It just means that I just can't, there's some things I can't talk about without, without laughing and crying. And I do so daily. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't need a Hallmark commercial to cry. I can do that at a Geico commercial. I um I have an ability to connect very quickly with people and that's been a blessing. Um, but when it comes to the creative side, I'm the one in my, in my household that does the gift wrapping, the home decor. I'm the one that does the sewing. I love to sew. I don't get a chance to do it as much as I'd like. I'm the one that does the flower arranging. Um, and I play the violin, the, the guitar, the viola. I sing jazz. I, I love to cook. I love to bake. I love to shop. I live to shop. Um, and I'm jealous of Relief Society most of the time, when they, especially when they have uh, a, a homemaking nights with subjects I wish I could, just, I could just go myself. I love Masterpiece Theater. I love Call, to the, Call the Midwife, uh, Downton Abbey. If there was only one movie that I could watch for the rest of my life, it would be Sound of Music. So you get a feel for the fact that I'm not your typical... Um, uh, adult male. 
Um, and, and because of that, there've been, uh, there's a lot of shame associated with how I, I can't let people see the real me for most of my life. That's the way I've lived. From my earliest memories, I realized I was not attracted to, to anyone but my own gender. And that's before even puberty. I realized something was different. But I also knew because of my parents, and I'm a convert, um, that, 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 that the whole stigma behind everything was that if, if, if I was one of those um, that I would be a disgrace to my family, to society, to humanity. And so you, you learn to hide very quickly um, what, uh, that part of yourself. So I, um, I uh, am a convert. Uh, my parents divorced uh, when I was 14. And, and I didn't know anything about the, the, the church except that the Osmonds were were Mormons and uh, Donnie Osmond's my age. I mean, just, uh, I'm embarrassed to say that his poster was on my wall, not women, but you know, Donnie Osmond was. And, uh, (laughs) oh, I'm going to regret saying that. And so I heard that a a member of the church had moved next door and uh, the rumors were they were Mormon. So I went over the, I I knocked on the door and I said, is it true you guys are Mormons? And the woman said, "Uh, yeah, um, we are. And I said, could you send someone over to share with me what it is you uh, believe? Uh, Because I'd like to be baptized. (laughs) And so when the missionaries came over, um, when they told me about the Book of Mormon, and when they told me about Joseph Smith, I mean, I just, it was one of those, I just, I instantly knew it was true. Instantly. I didn't even have to read the Book of Mormon to know that it was true. It was just like, of course it is. This is just beautiful. And, um, and, and more than anything, I wanted a family like the Osmonds. My family was a train wreck. My parents were good people, but they were so troubled. My father uh, drank heavily. Uh, my mother was um, emotionally and mentally unstable. And, uh, and they're, all, they're all past now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, um, I, uh, without the church, I don't know where I would be, uh, four years of, of that, right. As I went into high school, um, oh, what a blessing that was seminary. And, uh, my senior year, I, I, uh, I realized I had a problem because I needed to find a place to live with my parents having divorced, um, they had both married, remarried and moved on. Uh, I was certainly welcome at my father's house, but we, we were not, we were not, uh, we were not seeing eye to eye at the time. And we were never sadly very close, but, um, I, I, um, when I graduated from high school, I had no place to live. Uh, and so uh, I knew I needed to uh, solve that problem. And um, I thought, you know, I want to go on a mission so bad I can't stand it, but I can't wait around a year. That just wasn't possible. So I thought if I'm, if I'm going to go in the military, I want to go into the hardest possible. And that way I can learn how to be a man and get rid of all these feminine tendencies and that was the real reason. So honest. It really was. Thank you for your courage to be so honest. And so boot camp was 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 excruciatingly painful. Um, but my 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 friends were relatively limited. Um, uh, when we were deployed, and I was deployed twice, um, it, most of the Marines would go spend the evening with um, women in town. Um, and, uh, I was left alone in the barracks and, um, I had one friend and for whatever reason, he didn't go out there either. And then immediately he was discharged because of some technicality with his, uh, with his, um, enlistment papers. And I was alone. And then one morning, the next, uh, oh gosh, seems like yesterday they found me, um, in the barracks showers, uh, with my wrists completely lacerated. And uh, 
the psychiatrist said, well, clearly you didn't uh, want to kill yourself or you'd done a lot better job. And and sent me off to uh, uh, speak to the base chaplain, thinking that maybe I was, you know, troubled in some other way. Well, I never came out, of course. But um, it's turned out that the, the chaplain was an LDS JAG officer. And as I told him my story and how I felt like I was just slipping away from the church and I just didn't know how to cope with this, uh, he just told me in the best counsel he could give, I'm sure it was inspired, but he said, you just need to relax. And that's probably true. However, I chose to relax like, like, um, like uh, the only way that I knew, which was to drink like my father. And the more I became like my father, the more I hated myself. My, my heart was literally at war with myself. I, 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 I had bought into the whole, um, hate the sin, love the sinner philosophy. And so I found justification in hating that part of myself, thinking that if I could hate it enough, it would go away. But I got lost in that. I got lost because, well, you can't really separate the two. And of course, that's not doctrinal anyway. Um, that, that didn't work for me. Um, so, you know, to move on, um, you, can, you can see that uh, destructive behavior was very much a part of, of, my, of my path at that point. Uh, I remember getting, getting inebriated uh, with alcohol, drinking uh, my first time. And, and thinking, uh, well, you know, you've done it now. Now you've really done it. And now you'll have to repent. And, and, um, and, but honestly, if this is what it feels like to be drunk, I never want to be sober again. Because it was so euphoric and so, so much of a release to all the pain that I'd been carrying for so long. And within a year and then the next deployment, I was looking for something other than alcohol because I was so sick of being sick. And so by the time I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, to make a real long story a little shorter, I was, um, I was, I was addicted to cocaine. Mm. And six months prior to me being discharged, a bishop in San Diego pulled, put me under his wing and said, you know, it's not too late to go on a mission. I thought I'd lost that opportunity. But I also knew I had this other issue that I didn't know what to do with. And so as we began to prepare for a mission and I uh, got help um, uh, with uh, my, my drug and alcohol uh, addiction, um, I met my wife. She um, had come to the holiday holiday bowl game in San Diego to see her cousins, which were actually very good friends of mine that helped me uh, while I was a, a young member of the church. Um, uh, and uh, uh, all it took was one look and I thought, oh my gosh, what if, what if, what if I'm not gay anymore? Because this is the first time I've ever experienced this. And um, I don't know how to put that into words, but I, I, all I can say is within, within just one weekend of being together at a family reunion that I was kind of part of, um, we both went home and wrote in our journals that we thought we'd, we'd actually met the person we were going to marry. But my papers to serve a mission were already in. She'd served a mission in South America. And um, I remember thinking, well, surely... If, if the Lord has taken this from me um, because I've found the person I'm going to marry, should I, should I go on a mission? Should I, I mean, I've already served six years in the Marine Corps. I, I'm sure, maybe I'm justified not going. But I knew that I needed to put the Lord first. I just knew that. And I knew that if I didn't serve, I was missing out on, on an opportunity to serve the Lord in a way that would maybe never come around again. And so she was 29, 30 years old. And I was 25, 26. And um, I, I, I went through the temple uh, 
and was endowed in February. And that night in the celestial room, I gave her a ring and asked her to wait for me. That's cool. That is, that is crazy. And the next day I was in the MTC. So now imagine, uh, I'm thinking to myself, this is so beautiful. I can be as demonstrative as I want to be. I can be myself on my mission and no one will ever suspect that I'm gay because I'm engaged to be married. And my first companion was just, oh my gosh, we are still to this day, we are, we are best friends. He was my best man. I was his best man. And, and it was just, it was one of those blessings I would never have had had I not served a mission. And we were so close. And when he was released before I was, that was hard because, because all through the time that I was on my mission, as well as mostly on, uh, in the Marine Corps, my ability to connect deeply with men was something that they certainly didn't understand. They just thought I was a good friend. But the emotional connection was so much deeper than they understood that when they inevitably got transferred or discharged or married, it was the equivalent of a major breakup for me emotionally. And um, that would have happened at least three dozen times. That, that's so painful. So painful. And I didn't understand it. And you can't talk about it. And you can't talk about it. There was no one I could talk to. I just knew that if I was faithful, the Lord would take this. And I pleaded with the Lord to do that. And so when my mission is over, I reconnect, of course, with my fiance. And we are married a month later. We never had time to date. We went on pure faith that we had met the person we were going to marry. And we went on faith that that was, in fact, the truth. And it was, it absolutely was. Um, and, uh, and we never looked back across the altar in the temple. I'm the one going through the box of Kleenex. I'm the one that's, I, I, I'm, I'm in tears to the point. I don't even remember who was there. My wife doesn't cry. She is the logical, well-grounded one. She pays the bills and I'm the emotional guy. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, uh, uh, Yeah. So, um, we were married a month later, as I said, and, um, we were blessed with a a daughter and a son within four years. And after we'd moved into our home that we live in now, 30 some years ago, uh, we'd actually been married seven years and I was struggling because I realized that the Lord had not taken my attractions and nothing had really changed. I loved my wife. There was no problem there. And I had what was all that I'd ever wanted, which was a family and the gospel. And I just didn't know where to go. I did not know where to turn. And I, you know, in the process of coming out, Richard, it begins with coming out to yourself. And when you bury it as deeply and as long as I had, that's something that's just, it's not really on the surface of, um, of, of, a viable option at any given moment. I just, I just knew that I wasn't, I wasn't righteous enough. I wasn't serving enough. I wasn't doing enough. And clearly that had to change. And so after, after uh, intense prayer, I was, I was finishing a service project across the street one morning and I was pleading with the Lord um, to help me. And I looked up and I saw the temple, the Jordan river temple, And as though it was an audible voice, I heard um, portions of my patriarchal blessing. And um, in part, I basically needed to get to the temple. And and I did. And I started going every week. And then I became an ordinance worker. And I was an ordinance worker for several years. um, And then a veil worker. And that began to change me. I spent hours and hours in 
the celestial room pleading, <sighs> pleading that it be taken. Please take this from me. Where have you heard that before, right? Of course, there's no comparison, of course, but um, I thought that's what I needed to pray for. It would be two decades before I would begin to entertain the, the, the possibility that I was praying for the wrong thing, that that would not be taken from me, and that, um, that were it to be taken, it would frustrate Heavenly Father's plan for me. Wow. And even with that realization, it wasn't an instant fix because I still had attractions. I, I found it difficult to control. I was, never, I was never involved in pornography, never addicted to anything there. Um, and, and so I just continued to throw myself into the work of the Lord to build the kingdom. I served in the bishopric multiple times um, and then in the high, on the high council for five years, and then I became bishop. And, um, wow, <laughs> uh, it, what a beautiful opportunity to serve. But when I became bishop, um, it was right before the economy crashed in 08. And I inherited one person that was unemployed. And within six months, I had more than 12 men unemployed. And I could feel their pain and their fear. And I became aware as bishop of just how much heartache there is in people's lives. And if I had, oh my gosh, if I had the ability to just take it all away and to heal all of that, I would have. And I would have so frustrated the Lord's plan because within, within about three years, I began to realize that those who had the greatest challenges were those that were growing the most. I could see that. The Lord allowed me to see his love for them through their pain and through their anguish and through their trials. And it began to change the way I thought about, about, um, the challenges that we face in life, um, that they are truly more of a blessing than I had ever realized before. So um, I wondered, though, I wondered at the time as bishop, what will I do? What will I say? And how will I react if someone comes out to me? Because I wasn't even out myself. That never happened, which helped increase, if not, my sense of isolation. Because clearly, clearly, I am just that much of a freak. There's no one else like me. I am the only one, the only one that's like this. Married, children in the temple, bishop serving in this capacity, and I'm gay. I um, heard then... Um, that uh, there was someone that was writing uh, a podcast and that he was married Mormon and gay. And I thought, oh my, that's, that's, not, that's not possible. It, 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 who is this person? And they didn't know who it was. So I, on a business trip in San Diego, I spent the night Googling everything I could to find who this was. And I found, I found who it was. And um, that led me to Voices of Hope. And then I binge-watched those videos all night long and just wept. I, I've never wept harder and longer than I did finding those sweet souls who were willing to share their testimonies in an entirely different way. And then I hired a therapist. And uh, when I hired the therapist, it was essentially, I need, I need two things. I need, you to, I need you to help me navigate this new 
this new environment, this, this, this whole new journey. I need you to help me heal. And uh, number two, I need you to convince me that telling my wife isn't the worst mistake I could ever make because that frightened me more than even boot camp, Marine Corps, which should put it in perspective. I had not made any mistakes. I had not, I didn't have any, any actions that required um, uh, that type of repentance, but I was so afraid that I would crush her, that I would just, that I would just, that it would be more than she could handle. And, uh, and so after six weeks of therapy, I, um, I wrote down how I would explain it. And then I prayed to the Lord um, that I would have the opportunity. And another business trip, I find myself in, um, I find myself in, in, um, <laughs> in New York, and I'm able to go to the Sacred Grove. And I just happened to be there early one morning when no one else was there. I don't even know if that's even possible anymore, but it was such a sacred experience. It was right before conference weekend. And I knelt in that grove and I poured out my heart and I pleaded with him to help me know how to tell her and to bear her up to hear maybe the hardest thing she's ever heard in her life. And so the following weekend, conference weekend, I wait until the first two sessions are over. And then I share the story of my life for two hours that she's never heard before. And then I left for priesthood session. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I was a mess. That was the next box of Kleenex I went through. I was an absolute mess. And, uh, she, she would then begin her own healing journey because she didn't know what to do with that. And I, and I'm not even going to begin to speak for her. Um, I will tell you that uh, just sometime after that, we went to a movie that was built on the play uh, into the woods. And um, as we came out of that, she said, Joseph, I had an epiphany. You are coming out of a very, very dark forest, a very dark place. And I can see now just how much light you feel being so so open and free and and filled with the spirit that you just it, it's beautiful but you need to know that i'm going into that place we're kind of exchanging places and you need to be patient with me and don't try to fix this just let me let me be and she was right it would take about a year or two, at least, for her to really settle in to understanding what this was about and how she could best support me. But for me, it was, it was like rediscovering the gospel of Jesus Christ all over again on a whole new level. It was, it was, like, it was like I was rediscovering the gospel for the first time. I mean, the spirit was just, oh, to be that liberated. I just can't even, I can't even, I can't even describe it as, as, as it is difficult to explain spiritual things anyway. I remember hearing something, um, uh, and, 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 and reflecting on it again and again in the temple that power, real true power is acquired in the number of contradictions one is able to reconcile and that no one has reconciled more contradiction than the savior himself i mean we're not we're, we're, we're talking more than just old testament and new testament we're talking about the savior of the world our creator having having reconciled mercy and justice to eternal principles. And that gave me hope that having been born the way I was born with my tendencies is clearly a contradiction with my gender. 
But if I could reconcile that in the Lord, that there was nothing I couldn't do. And I knew that it was possible. But I also knew that it was no longer something I should pray to simply have have removed or eliminated. And then I was reminded of, oh, in in such a literal way, uh, Mosiah, Mosiah 24, um, when, when the people of, uh, the people of, um, uh, Amulon were, uh, 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 where Amulon had, um, had, uh, enslaved and, and, uh, held captive Alma and, and his people. And, uh, Alma, Alma 24, 14. And I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you are in bondage. And this will I do, that ye may stand as witnesses for me hereafter, and that ye may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. That would become my mantra because I knew, I knew that the Lord would help me recover. And when I found North Star that night, the voices of hope that led to North Star, I was at the first North Star conference and that was divine orchestration. It, my entire healing journey was so meticulously engineered so that I could I could truly receive that kind of help. And they became instant friends, like like deep friends that um, uh, that would make all the difference in my healing journey. I I um then Boy, that was a beautiful weekend, but my wife and I almost didn't get out of the car. I even purchased tickets to the conference before I came out to her. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, it was like, okay, I can come out to meet you now because I've, I've arranged everything so that I can go be healed and everything's going to be okay. It was, that was my, that was my justification for, for finding the strength to, you know, tell her the the part of me that I'd never shared with anyone else. Um, my life is so beautiful. My life now with children and grandchildren, are they without challenges and problems? Heavens no. The, The challenges continue. And this is a portion of my life. Um, but at the same time, I wonder, Richard, as I reflect on my life with that kind of introspection you were you were alluding to, I wonder, um, given how beautiful my life is, having married my best friend and the only woman I ever, ever found, mercifully found attracted to, first and last, what would my life be like? had some wonderful, caring parent or friend or church leader had told me when I was in my teens or in my early 20s, when I was really struggling and needed, needed help, what if, what if I would have received counsel from them that if I'm gay, then that means... I have two choices that um, I will only be happy if I am willing to commit to celibacy or if I, if I find someone of my own gender to share my life with, who am I, who am I to put limitations on God's grace on God's power? I I'm so grateful that the Lord allowed me to wrestle. And I'm even more grateful 
that I didn't know at the time that it would take three decades for me to heal and to learn who I really am. With the whole, the whole North Star chapter of my life, I, I began to realize that I thought I knew what peace was and I thought I knew what charity and love was. And it was though I was foreign to it. I, I came to love individuals in this LGBTQIA community that I never in my wildest imagination thought I could even speak to, let alone love on the level that I do. Because I could see, just as Bishop, I could feel his love for them as I came to know them. That made all the difference in the world. You, Richard, have some experience with that. You began this journey five years ago, and and uh, and with everyone that you've interviewed and everything, everyone that you've spoken to, it it, it changes us, doesn't it? it does. I, I'm I'm I reminded of, of of Elder Cook's words that surely we should be at the forefront in terms of offering love and and support and and outreach to everyone whether they're marginalized or not we should be we should know more about that than anyone shouldn't we and so uh 2 years ago having taken um, some time with some family needs that needed my attention. And of course, there's just no greater priority than family. Um, the basic unit of the church is family, which we've come to learn really quickly in this pandemic, haven't we? We have. Um, beautiful thing. So after, after taking some time away, I, um, I went to my stake president and the bishop and I explained to them that I felt like it may be time for me to re-engage somehow, some way. But because I know this is this is part of my journey, and this is part of a continual ministry, if you will. And uh, oh, they were just—they were what you would want for any any individual who um, experiences what I do. They they were just they were just so filled with with Christ-like love. And this stake president, right before we were done, right before they they laid their hands on my head and gave me a beautiful priesthood blessing, he said, I, I feel I feel impressed to share this scripture with you. And you're gonna think it's just totally off the wall, but I'm gonna share it with you anyway. And he he goes to Isaiah 2. And he says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Neither shall they learn war anymore. He had described what I had experienced with my own heart, having been at war with myself for decades. And applied that to more than just what we expect will happen during the millennial era, which is what that prophecy is about. What if it's about now? What if what if what we're doing, this work that we're engaged in, is all about finding this measure of peace in this community and in this wonderful church to help people understand? how to beat their swords into plowshares. My heart mourns the more, the more we become um, at odds with each other, even within this church. This is not the Lord's plan. If we are not one, we are not his. And I just cannot thank my stake president enough for that inspired counsel. I've never forgotten it. I've reflected on it again and again. And so thank you, Richard, 
Thank you so much for your ministry and giving voice to those of us who are trying to find ours and make a difference. I could not be more grateful. Joseph, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. And my first thought is, for those of you that are listening to um, as thoughts came into your mind, either directly what Joseph said or impressions that came into your mind, write those down, act on them. I think that's the way the spirit works. And I think this is sort of like some ways, just a spirit led discussion about your individual journey, or if you're a parent or a local leader, um, there are some really wonderful nuggets here that I think apply to all of us. Joseph, this is a really courageous story. There's not much shame. When you talk about, when you started the podcast and talked about all your interests that aren't typical male interests, Yeah, I wish you could, I wish our listeners could see you because there's no shame in your face, your body language. Mm. And I just thought that is owning who you are. And I think that's an important principle for all of us is society sort of creates a narrative of what a man is, what a woman is, what we ought to be doing and yeah. not doing. And yeah. I love that 63 years old, and this came earlier than that, but you just love who you are yeah. and you just owned it and you just shared it with not a pride of self-respect. That's the good kind of pride. Oh, there's thank the, you. Yeah. There's the pride of comparison. That's not particularly good, but there's the pride of being our personal best and owning how we're created and owing all our talents and not bearing any of those talents. And in some ways, that's what you've done is in that first part of the podcast, just talked about all your talents in a very thoughtful way. But some of those talents aren't culturally what we assign to men. And I thought you were so brave to talk about why you went into the military. And I, six years is a long time, a couple deployments. And I thought it was good you talked about alcohol and drugs. I've recognized that... That is often an, an escape mechanism, a numbing mechanism. Yeah. It isn't one morning you said, what can I do to disappoint God? And you went down a checklist and you said, this would be a good one. Yeah. And so I yeah. think that gives us grace just to, for ourselves. If you're working through those sort of things and if we're helping others to recognize there may be something deeper that needs to be addressed, it's sort of the bottom of the iceberg. And, and you were trying to figure out a way to address that, but... Um, that makes sense that that sort of came into your life, but respect for that coming out of your life and this wonderful story of meeting your wife and um, the courage it took to go serve a mission. It's one thing to serve a mission at 19, or I think you can go even younger now. I've lost track of that, listeners. I should know. I think you can go at 18 for a yeah. young man. We had a son yeah. leave at 18. So no, I it's know 18. That. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to go at 18 with a serious girlfriend and no, at 20 or 21, you'll be back. But to go at 25, if I've got that right, and your wife's That's 30, yeah. there's a lot of faith in that. And then this um, journey of yours to take this from you and the decades you spent working on that, I think that's really helpful for younger people and um, that maybe you don't have to go through a couple decades that Joseph went through. Oh, I hope not. And, oh, the, I hope and not. if there's just more resources, the Voices of Hope, this podcast, stories, and books, so that you can learn to accept this part of you. And you had some wonderful language about this is allows my life mission to be possible, Yeah, including your sexual orientation. So this is something that's a beautiful part of you that I'm... It complicates things in some ways, but it makes your life possible. And I think it's a really important message for all listeners. And it's certainly something that's taken me a while to sort of understand because I thought, well, everybody, it would just be nice if everybody's straight because, you know, but I recognize that this is part of Heavenly Father's plan. And I, you know, listeners, you've heard me talk about this, that I don't think Heavenly Father's looking at Joseph and saying, oh, no, what went wrong? Um, I don't think he's capable of making a mistake or being surprised. So I've always felt like everybody is created as they're intended to be, and it puts everybody on the same moral footing. And no one should feel shame if they're not, if they're a gender minority or a sexual minority. It's just part of life, and it's part of the beautiful needed diversity. And, and our world's a better place because of you. But I love then your service. I love you talking about, you know, you said some language that I can't repeat word for word, but you talked about that, the financial crisis and the pain and the heartache. And 
when I talk to bishops or sort of sense that there's so much pain in every congregation, we go to church, we put on our very best faces and, but behind the most, many of those homes and our wards and stakes are really complicated things going on. But I loved how you said that sometimes people walking the most complicated road are experiencing the most growth. Yep. And you certainly know that firsthand from your own experience, but I think it's part of mortality. And, and I think you, even as a bishop, wish you could wave a wand, but then you recognize that would frustrate Heavenly Father's plan. I think that's a good message for all of us that are in really tough situations that, and wondering why, you know, where's the pavilion? Where is the relief? It's like Joseph Smith in jail. Yeah. And perhaps in this eternal perspective, this is all for our good. And maybe your Heavenly Father who feels emotion actually feels the pain we have. And and he sees the big picture in the long view, but it's I think he feels the pain that we feel. And he's it's not easy for him. Um, and then your desire to be in this space again after your time in North Star and helping your family. And um, your voice is a really mature voice. If there's younger people listening that are pre-mission age or mission age or trying to figure out their future. I think this really helps them to be grounded. I think it helps them to take it slow, Joseph, because I think, you know, they may not need to make all their decisions right now about exactly their future. You certainly didn't know your future. Even in the church, when that Mormon family moved in next to you and you didn't quite know how this was going to work out, being gay and being LDS and serving a mission, but... It seems like you just continued to make the very best decisions you could based on the revelation you were receiving. And gradually now you can look back five decades and understand Heavenly Father's plan in your whole life. And I think that's really good for listeners just to know that often we don't, we could only see the next few steps we should take or can take. And there's enough personal revelation or light to take those steps. Um, but it's often looking back after decades, we understand the steps we take and how that was led us to where we are. So those are some of the thoughts that came into my mind. But this has been a healing journey. Your visual imagery of your wife and you when you first came out to her, which took incredible courage. Um, and I've heard sort of that narrative before, but you actually put some visual to it that was really helpful of you coming out of this dark forest and mm. and she walking into the dark forest. But I would say, listeners, that both of you going through that dark forest has given your marriage a better foundation than it ever would have had if you hadn't have sort of brought each other into your respective forests or yeah. even though you knew it would cause her pain and walking into that forest was the last thing you wanted to do. You knew for the long term for your marriage and for you and for her, I'm putting words in your mouth, you knew it would get you into a better place than was possible if you didn't come out. Oh, those are definitely my words. We are so much closer and we have, we have so much more peace. And, and that one thing that I thought I would just take to my grave in order to protect her and in order to protect everyone around me, I would just suffer it myself so that I wouldn't impose on them. Um, I had to, I had to, I didn't realize it at the time. Now looking back, I realized that the Lord, that wasn't the Lord's plan. The Lord's plan was to help me reach the point when I could, I could be truthful with her and with myself and allow her to suffer with me for a period, for a time. And I could not protect her anymore. And that, um, that's hard to impose pain on someone that you love as much as I love my wife. But um, to know that there can be no healing until you go, until you rip that bandage off and allow the light to penetrate, there can be no healing. She, uh, we, we joked about our uh, unconventional role reversals for years. Um, and it was always funny. Until it wasn't. <laughs> it was always funny. I remember one day we uh, 
she was she was watching a, a football game and hooting and hollering just like you can imagine. And I was in the kitchen baking uh, fresh uh, pumpkin pies about this time of year. And I remember I remember with a dish towel over my arm going out there and saying, hey, would you like a beer, dear? It's awesome. <laughs> Not that we drink, of course, but um, the, the role reversal, she just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Um, but but if but there was still so much shame around if my new neighbors, after having moved in and were, would actually if, if they knew that I actually sewed all of the balances and the curtains for our house. Will they see through that? Will they, will they, I, I was okay with the sisters seeing it, but the men, I felt shame. I felt shame. It, it's, it's a work in progress. I, even to this day, um, I, 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 I'm too embarrassed to sing unless it's, you know, in a formal setting, like in church. Um, it's hard for me to sing in front of people because I'm just, it's just, I'm still, I'm still learning I'm still learning how to glorify my creator with my talents and my abilities and not be ashamed of who I am and what I've been blessed with. I'm still a work in progress. It reminds me of my favorite bumper sticker. Um, you should always just be yourself. Unless you're an Avenger, then you should always be an Avenger. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, as a take on uh, on Marvel Comics. Um and I'm certainly not, I don't have any superpowers. No, I don't, uh, I'm not special in that respect. But I, I knew that the best thing for me was to put the Lord first in everything that I did, one step at a time. And the Lord tutored me and brought me to the point that I could take advantage of resources he had made available right at the very time I needed them and I was prepared for them. I remember picking up Ty Mansfield's book in quiet desperation while at a bookstore, while I was serving as bishop. And I felt as I opened the pages, I felt, I felt a tremendous weight and, and, and I don't know how to describe this. Again, it's so hard to describe spiritual things, but I put the book down as though I hope no one saw me pick that up, that, that feeling. And later I would come to realize what the Lord was saying was not yet, not yet, because your healing journey will be so, so uh, um, overwhelming that you need to be at a point where you can literally focus on just that. And right now you're ministering to my sons and daughters in this ward. That's your ministry. And it was about a year after I was released that uh, the Lord helped me bring it all together. There's just so many wonderful insights, Joseph. I I love this idea of your talents and that these talents that are male and female culturally yeah. have created shame. Yeah. Um, and I think of Brene Brown's quote, fitting in is assessing a situation of becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. Yeah. And that, to me, I see so much effort in the church right now on this belonging, what's being done at BYU, the Relief Society. And I think if you're a local leader or a parent, or I think that's one of the greatest gifts you can create as a culture and environment in your family, in your ward, in your quorum, in your Relief Society of belonging, where people can be authentic with who they are. Yeah. And for elders, it, I don't know how to do that so that, you know, people with, you know, less typical male attributes feel like that's okay. But I think we need to learn how to do that. I, I know my younger kids, my millennial age kids are are more open to just, you know, as they're raising their kids of just sort of these gender norms. They're letting them have just a little more latitude so that they can really be 
who they are yeah. and not fit into yeah. these sort of like, you've got to play with these type of toys or, and I think that's a good thing. I think, cause mm-hmm. I think there's, mm-hmm. I look at all the things that you are, Joseph, and I think of the parable, the talents and that you and I and the listeners have been gift blessed with a lot of talents and, but sometimes to fit in, we have to mute some of those talents that yeah, the Lord and, wants us to use. And what a shame, isn't it? It's a shame. And, what a shame is that? And so I, it's a really important part of this, of your story is, you know, for all of us to own our talents and for those, and we should create a culture where we're, you know, not dismissive of people that have talents that are perhaps you know, not main, I don't know what vocabulary to use. The other thing that comes to my mind is something I say on the podcast is you hear Joseph's story, use it to help write your own story. Don't necessarily make Joseph's story your story. I think Joseph would feel the same way. Amen to that. You may be a closeted woman or man married, and you may not feel right now it's your time to come out to your spouse. Um, But I think our joint prayer is that Joseph's story will help you as you're writing your own story. This can only help you to have, like, just like Voices of Hope did for you, Joseph, just somebody that's walking this road, that's laying down principles that are based on, on the gospel and on focusing on our Heavenly Father and the Savior to make your way, make your way forward. But one of the cautions I always give is don't necessarily say, okay, this is how I do it. This is how I did Joseph did it. So this is how I do it. I do it between conference sessions. Joseph wouldn't want you to do that, but I think he would want you to take the principles he's teaching and his life experience and help you to write your story. Um, you might be 18 or 17. You might be in a mixed orientation marriage. You might be out. You may not be out. I had one guy call me and says, you know, you don't ever have guests on your podcast that aren't out. And he go, and I thought, well, that's true. <laughs> Just by nature, he says, there's a lot of people listening that aren't out probably yeah. to your podcast. And maybe he was yeah. sort of coming out to me and saying that. And I think if you're one of those people that don't feel you, it's right for you to come out and you're actually going to take it to your grave. I, what would you say to those people, Joseph? Oh, that's a good question. <sighs> Richard... I would rely on the Lord to direct the timing, the place, and the circumstances. Because if I know one thing, I know that the Lord knows who we are, and He loves us where we are, and He wants to help us grow. And He knows what that next step is. He knows. And he would not, as a loving Heavenly Father, deny you of the knowledge of what that next thing is if you truly want to know and if you're humble enough to hear the answer. We don't change overnight. It took me longer than I wish it would have, could have. And you're right, Richard. Now there are resources available to help accelerate this healing process, this healing journey that um, that is so important in this community, in this in this um, this uh, this thing that we that we've tried to uh, you know uh, put a name to. But uh, there is hope in Christ. That's where we find our hope. And I have learned that again and again on levels so deep. I think the greatest mistake I ever made, Richard, is when when the spiritual answers come, whether it be in, in the temple whether it be uh, something about the endowment or something we hear at church, my biggest mistake that I've ever made was thinking, oh, okay, that's what that means. And then failing to realize that that's not all that means, that there will be layers upon layers of revelation available to us if we will 
if we will do all that we can to live by his law and keep his commandments, that's where he can help us heal. That's where we find the power. I, um, I'm just so grateful for his love, his patience, and his mercy. And I, through this experience, I feel so much more committed to doing what I can to give more, to sacrifice more, to bless other lives. Thank you for this opportunity. It's a deeply moving story, Joseph. And I think of the temple and the role of the Savior in your life. And I think we've talked about this in the past, listeners, but I think, you know, the some people would say, well, the atonement, if you use the atonement just enough, Joseph, it'll make you straight. Um, it doesn't seem, and the listeners have kind of helped me understand that the atonement isn't meant to make, if you know, you straight, it's meant to heal your heart. Yeah. And this idea that Christ descended below all things and he understands the road you're walking and he can walk that road with you. And you've allowed him to walk that road. I love your focus on the temple. I love you being in the celestial room and it's a key message of your ministry. And yeah, and you're still gay. And so that didn't change. And I think that's maybe we haven't really directly said that in the podcast, but that's certainly, I think, an important message if you're younger and you're still I wouldn't want to take hope away. If you actually believe you can become straight, I wrote this in the book. I wouldn't want to take hope away that it's the last thing I'd want to do is take hope away from somebody who has hope of something. But the majority of the stories I've met with listeners and Joseph's story and the stories in my book are people that have um, have come to accept this part about themselves yeah. and they're no longer trying to yeah. somehow make themselves straight they accept themselves. They come out to themselves like you've talked about. And as we both realize the younger people are doing that better yeah. earlier, which I think is a good thing because then that their healing journey as they come out to themselves mm-hmm. first and accept this allows them to move forward. But the Savior has a role here. The atonement has a role of you helped us understand in a big way. And I love the way you've had a Christ-centered life and continued to do so. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Joseph? I knew that question was coming and I should be prepared for it. <laughs> I, um, I, I think you just already said it. It's, it's, it's in, it's in finding the beauty and what we're experiencing as part of overcoming the shame, if there is any shame for, for some individuals. For me, it's great because of my age and because of the, the circumstances I was born into. Young people seem to have a lot less shame today. Um, good, better, and different. I hope it's, I hope it allows them to accelerate their path, but um, finding the beauty in, in, what we've been blessed with in bringing souls to Christ. And first and foremost, it's our soul. It's, it begins with us. Um, I, I, I just feel such a, a, a tremendous sense of gratitude to all of those who've gone before me, to the Ty Mansfields and the Jeff Benyons and the Bordens and all of those who were on a journey long before I ever began on mine um, that prepared a way. And, and the beauty that I see in that, the beauty that I see in North Star is allowing us to minister to each other and, and, and own our own narrative rather than waiting for someone else to tell us how we should feel or how we should function. And, 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 and I'm so grateful for the distinction that we now have that we didn't have 20 years ago. It, the, the distinction and the difference between attractions and behaviors and, and, uh, and, and one that we can control and one that we cannot and, and eliminating the guilt and the shame that comes with that uh, that side of the attraction that we will never eliminate. Um, 
It doesn't mean that I'm I'm I have license to lust any more than if I was was attracted to the opposite sex. But I can control my behaviors and I can put the Lord first. And he will, he will bless our lives if we are, if we put him first. He will always be there for us. And he always was, always was for me. Thank you, Joseph Stith. Is that right? Yep. Sometimes get a name wrong once I learned it wrong, but I, but Joseph, that was just terrific. And that last segment is a perfect closing segment. It applies to all of us. Everybody, that's a segment for just focusing on the Savior and his role in our life. And some of the, this podcast, if you're straight, there's great principles that Joseph's sharing that are helpful to straight people. Um, these are sort of principles that scale across all of us as the human family to help us do better and have Christ-centered lives. So Joseph, you're a great man. I've done a lot of good in this world. We'll continue to a lot of good. I pray that as you have been on this podcast and kind of back in this space, that Heavenly Father will continue to guide you because your voice is needed. And I think he will continue to find ways to connect you with people that need the principles and the insights that you can share. So this is Richard Osler and Joseph Stith signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>